Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Knowledge Panel Show, where today we will be talking about how to build an SEO-friendly content marketing strategy. So we've got a brilliant panel. Um, we've got Martin, Holly, Ed and Chima. I'm going to get them all to introduce themselves. Uh, Martin, if we could start with you. Absolutely. Yeah, my name is Martin and I run Jammy Digital with my wife, Lindsay. And uh, yeah, as we all do, we create SEO friendly content for clients. Awesome. Holly? Hi, um, so I'm Holly. Um, I work for a digital marketing agency in Stone in Staffordshire. Um, I've been doing SEO for maybe about uh, 14 months now, um, so quite new, but uh, yeah, enjoying every minute. Awesome. Ed? Hey, I'm Ed. I'm uh, SEO and content manager at Swoop Funding. I've got um, about five years experience across agency and brand side uh, driving content strategies to build uh, traffic for a variety of websites. Awesome. And Chima? Hi, my name is Chima Medre. I am an SEO content strategist and writer for B2B SaaS companies. Brilliant. Okay, we're just going to get pretty much started. Uh, throw you guys in the deep end, which uh, I would like to know, what are the key elements of an SEO-friendly content, content strategy and how do they contribute to improving search engine rankings? So essentially, what is an SEO-friendly content marketing strategy? What makes that? Um, anybody can jump in and we'll sort of build off of off of that. I think the first sort of step really is to make sure that you balance out your content marketing strategy so that say if you have a commercially focused page that you sort of want to drive business into, that alongside that you have a, a larger number of more sort of generic, either informative or commercially informative pieces of content. By that I mean stuff that you may actually not gain any direct business from, but you're offering value to users and getting that sort of brand awareness, but also offering them a bit more than other websites that will say, just be like, this is the service that we're offering. Here's where you can sort of get it. It creates that picture of this is why you might need it. This is how to maximize its benefit. These are other considerations and it starts to build a much more cohesive piece that also educates the user instead of just selling to them. Ginny, sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, so it's sort of about what what makes the, what are the key elements of an SEO friendly content marketing strategy? Okay. Let's just start I, with I, that. Yeah, I heard you, but I wasn't sure. I wanted to just be sure that I that was what no I worries. Heard. All right, so for me, I wrote this down because I have very short attention span and memory is not my best yet, so I have to put everything on paper. No so worries. This is what awesome. I wrote down: the key elements, audience research to understand who the target audience is going to be. And then next, ideation, general ideation could be with teams or anything like that. And then keyword research to make sure that that ideation aligns with what people are searching for. And then competitor research, content brief, user optimized content, because I think we should be moving away from search engine, search engine optimized content, quote unquote, to content optimized for the user. And mm -hmm. then you have the content itself, you have optimization, you have backlinks, you have updates mm. and refresh. So when I think of elements of what makes really great content, it comes in this block. Yeah, that's awesome. I wonder if anybody has anything to add to that or if, if Chiba's exhausted the list of everything that <laughs> <laughs> that we could possibly think of, which straight from the bat, off the bat. Yeah, I definitely think um, it for me, it's a case of really understanding the end reader and everything that we do 
from an SEO point of view is just in order to get in front of that person. But ultimately, unless that person, that client visitor or your visitor is understood. And I think this is the real differentiator for us, which is understanding the concerns, the problems, the real intricacies of what the problem is that people are trying to solve, engaging with them, empathizing with them and getting them through that piece of content. Because ultimately, if we're just doing things to rank on the first page of Google, but we're not guiding people through the end of that content and actually getting them to take action, then SEO, for the most part, is just a a tick box exercise. It is about getting someone to take an action at the end of the day. And that might just be becoming more knowledgeable on that topic, feeling like they've got a little bit more power and a little bit more control over whatever topic it is and giving them the next step. Um, ultimately SEO is to drive that kind of engagement for me. Yeah, yeah I, com- I would totally agree. Go ahead, Ed. I was going to say, yeah, I completely agree with all of that. And th- one of the best approaches I find is making sure that every bit of content you produce is produced with eat in mind, um, just because this gives you all of that extra sort of authority within the industry. It has the obviously the expertise of whoever the um, content author is, if you double down by having sort of reviewers or like frequent updated dates, just to say this was reviewed for accuracy on the 26th mm. of June, for instance, just to show that you it's not just you throwing up a piece of content, expecting it to rank well, expecting it to offer value. You're really showing the why behind the value, not just the content itself. So having experts produce the content, have it referenced and audited frequently, um, and also not always trying to get that, again, that commercial gain from everything. Because mm. like Martin was saying, that sort of education piece is the real big driver of what creates a good content marketing strategy because you've separated it into what you want to gain as a business, but what value you also want to give users, whether that is education or, as Martin says, getting that next sort of step as to what that user needs, you address that issue. I'm also, I'm sort of wondering, and I wonder, um, actually, Holly, if you could um, answer, what's the sort of first things, the sort of, like the, the the first things you start to do when you're when you're creating a content strategy plan? So, like the very beginning, I feel like that's where we should start anyway. Um, what, what are you thinking immediately of the user, just like um, sort of Martin and Ed was saying just there? Um, or do you start with the user and work backwards, or is it? from the keyword research and work forwards? Um, Yeah, I would completely agree. Um, I would start with the user, but what's so important for me and my clients is, I mean, I've done it before where I've gone straight in there thinking I would know best what the user would want, um, what would educate them most. um, And the biggest kind of education for me is going back to the client and discussing what they think, I mean, what they know their users need um, and what is missing from competitors. I find that to be really useful, looking into what competitors are missing. Why should that user come to this business specifically? And why would they keep continuing to come back? Yeah, awesome. So I guess my next question, guys, is uh, going to be around keyword research. Um, so how do you guys approach keyword research? And how does that analysis inform the development of your content marketing strategy? Or is this something that isn't part of your initial content marketing strategy ideation stage at all um i'd love to know a little bit more about how you how you start yeah i can jump in here um for us the ideas for the content um it doesn't come from the 
the, the research, the keyword research. It comes from speaking to the client and actually finding out what their business goals are. So it's, you know, as a techie and as a, as a researcher, sometimes I have to really pull it back and actually understand that that person might want to rank on the first page of Google. That client might want to rank on the first page of Google for all these keywords. That person's just looking for higher quality clients. They're, they're, they're fine for traffic. They just need better inquiries and better, you know, clients that they can work with higher value clients. So it really is understanding that that kickoff call, that initial discussion is about extracting the deep rooted goals that that particular client has and then working from there to find out, okay, so maybe it's not the content strategy that the keywords that we would initially jump in and start researching competition because every business owner is unique, even if they all offer the same products and really do want to spend that time to understand what their short-term goals are and long-term goals as well. You know, as an example, only through digging, did we understand that a client who reached out to us recently, they were looking to sell their business, not rank on the first page of Google. So they initially hired us because they wanted to, you know, oh, we just want more traffic. We just want the numbers to go up because that's all going to look good. But actually really understanding what the goals for the business are, you can work backwards and say, okay, perfect. I've got the right kind of head screwed on now. Now I can do the keyword research with that in mind. Now I can do the competitor analysis with that in mind. And I just think it really, before we jump into the tools and the tech, we really need to understand and listen uh, from the potential climate. Yeah, I completely agree with everything Martin said, because for me, it depends on who the client is and where they are. Usually I work with SaaS companies, so there are two, there are three stages. Those who are just starting from scratch and just have an idea of what they think the product should be doing. Those who already have an established idea of that product and have launched, but they're not seeing any results. And those who have a successful content marketing campaign and they just want something else. So it, it depends on where they are. If it's a brand new business that has a product, usually they come to me and they say, we think this is who we should be serving. We think this is what the product should be called. We think this is the audience we should be serving. And then as we start to dig deep together and I start to understand the product, I realize that what they want to call the product or what they want to be targeting doesn't have any search volume because nobody's looking for it. Then it's going back and then realigning what the product does or the problem it solves with what people are looking for and then using that as the basis to do the keyword research. Because from there, we can now start building out, okay, now that we know this, what do we want the goals to be? For those who are just starting from scratch, they want to align. They want to make sure that they're aligned with the right audience. And keyword research can help you find that audience by looking at competitors, by looking at all of the modifiers that other people are using when they're looking for that product or that solution. So it can be really helpful in that way. But just like Martin says, it starts with that initial call. It starts with understanding where the business is right now, what problems they are trying to solve, who is looking for that solution, and where are they trying, where are they currently getting answers from right now so that we can do a better job. So that would be like the foundational aspect of keyword research for me. And then it even goes beyond traditional keyword research. These days, I'm really into community research. I use this tool called, I just found it last week, but it is so awesome. It's called Perplexity. And I use it to do community research on platforms like Reddit, Quora, and the rest of them. It's just a gold mine of content ideas. I don't even care about search volume. It's just a gold mine of content ideas that I can really use to understand the problems that that target audience is facing and what they are trying to solve. I completely agree with what um, Martin and Chima have said there, especially with that starting at that end goal. 
because um, once you understand that, um, as Dave said, you can really start to unpick and ultimately identify what correlates with that objective. The one thing I would also sort of double down on is dependent on where the company is and what kind of product it is or service that they're offering. I've been in situations before where um, in an agency I've worked with sort of SaaS startups that they've actually genuinely bought out something that is virtually brand new. And obviously there's no way of people searching for something that they don't know exists yet. So really one of the big things I always say is that you can't actually ever get too basic when you're doing your content strategy because just because you're in the industry and you know it doesn't mean that your prospective customers are going to as well. So really having these heavily informational pieces um, and also, go like Chima says, going for those things that may not necessarily have that attractive search volume metric because that's when you start getting into long tail searches that obviously you can get that immediate value from because it's lower competition further down the funnel. But also you get to target those people that want your product or service as their solution, but they don't know why they need it or what it is that it even does. So really sort of almost dumbing it down and really making um, that commitment to speak into your audience, to educate them, to get them in from their pain points and actually unpick it, as Martin said, when you start off finding out what the uh, user and the business's end objective is. Also finding out what the objective of everyone that would use this product is, whether it is to, say, streamline their bookkeeping services or to really um, sort of front load and get more lead gen, anything like that, it's like then you can start to formulate a content strategy that appeals to each of these verticals because you know what it is that they're looking for and you're giving it to them in a way that they know how to search for it. I'm sort of wondering, um, what is your process then of, I, I totally get the 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 approach of going uh, straight to the end user, figuring out um, the like everything about them and, and what makes them unique and, and doing that research. But then what is your guys' process on making that content strategy SEO friendly? Like, is there, does it completely align if you're doing it for the, uh, if you're doing it for the right reasons, will it all fall into place? Or is there a sort of mindset that you guys have to be in when you're writing your content strategy? Um, so this could be tech, I guess it could be anything. I'm sort of just getting that there's like a back and forth between the client and the tech that you guys have to do are you um, asking does that make like sense? what is the process for doing the keyword research when we're working on content strategy projects is that what you're asking i'm just trying to make sure i'm getting the question right yeah i'm sort of asking so if you're starting with the end user how do you translate that into a, a tech friendly piece of content or a tech friendly content strategy so is it always going to be um if you're just writing from experience and knowing that the end user, what they need and they want, or how I like, how are you actually creating that content strategy to fit the end user? I, does that make sense? Maybe someone could jump in and. Yeah. Um, I think really ma making sure that you identify the purpose of every piece of content that you produce. So if you mm. are going to produce something that, you know, may generate more traffic, then that's absolutely fine to have. But then if you have sort of like high levels of technical information, it's that's when it starts to get into that almost technical SEO side of things of what does that look like in the hierarchy of the website? Is it in a subfolder? Is it in a complete sort of knowledge hub or guide section? Are you going to use this to signpost users to, but also use it as a bit of a, a sort of anchor for your internal linking strategy? 
really identifying mm. the purpose of each piece of content. And also when it comes to the audience, when uh, you speak to the client or the business owner, identifying the kind of level of um, technical capability that they want to target in the short term, because I always do my content strategies more so in sort of a almost like a quarterly thing. So it's like three month objective, six month, nine month, 12 month objective. Obviously, mm-hmm. the content that you know is going to take the longest to appear prominently for you, you'll want to sort of get published as soon as you can so that you can build the authority and get all the sort of ranking signals onto that page. But also, you need to serve users the content that is going to help them in the short term. So again, that's where that sort of helpful guide style information that is very, it can seem rudimentary at times to really be talking almost in beginner speak, but then a good website is one that can speak to beginners and it can speak to absolute experts. You need to have that full coverage. Um, And that Mm -hmm. sort of goes again back to what I was saying earlier of you can't ever get too basic in the sense of you want to attract all the customers that you can. So you need to have content that appeals to all levels of technical ability. That's awesome. So is it um, when you're creating these content marketing strategies, is it something that you're like you're saying it has to be for an entire team that can be quite hard to to give to so many different people to work on and then uh you know make, making sure that everyone can access it in the same way I, I assume that that's quite a bad uh quite a, a difficult uh thing to mediate um especially at, like you know as sort of the go between between the tech and the and the content and the the end result um but anyway we'll get on to a little bit more um, to do with effective strategies. So, uh, what are some effective strategies for leveraging content distribution channels, such as social media and email marketing to amplify and reach and impact the impact, uh, of SEO friendly content? So that's the long tail question in short, I would just like to know your, uh, effective strategies for, um, using different channels. So how are you, how are you planning uh, content strategies for different channels, marketing channels. So you're talking about distribution, right? Yeah, distribution. distribution. Yeah. Okay. So again, notes. Notes. <laughs> All right. So I really like social media, especially Twitter and LinkedIn for distribution. It's awesome. What I usually do is that when I have a new piece of content that is going live, I I look at every subheading as a thread. So I take every subheading and I turn it into a longer thread for LinkedIn and Twitter and then link to the article as a resource to continue. That way, I'm not just saying the same thing and saying, oh, we have this new blog because I talking about this. No, we're kind of like continuing the conversation, but on a granular level for every subheading there. I do the same thing with guest posting. I take a subheading and I'm like, okay, which of this subheading is really good? that I can expand into a guest post. And then since it to be relevant to the original content, link back to it. Then I like to look at Quora and Reddit, find the right communities, and then look for questions that are related to any subheading or the topic in general, and then answer that question or those questions and plug the resource there at the end. And Slack is also great. There are so many Slack communities where you have like maybe one day of the week or a specific Slack channel in the community where you can post new stuff that you've just published. And something that I like to do is to try and future influencers so that when I publish the content, I can hit them up and share it with them and use their channels to 
get more eyes on the contents. That seems like a really robust, um, you know, repurposing and distribution uh, method. So, yeah, really, really good. Um, for me, I think the idea of the content initially, you know, actually looking and planning and strategizing like a draft and a brief sometimes gives you the concept that you could say that could make a LinkedIn post, that would make a great Twitter thread. So along the same lines, but we start to think about it a little bit earlier to think, and we have a phrase that we use in our agency is, will it stretch? And the idea is when we come up with a piece of content for a client, it might be the kind of content that you could answer quite succinctly and quite directly, and it mm -hmm. doesn't need to be a long piece of content. Um, and, and sometimes that's the right thing to do, but ultimately it's about how much content can you, will be born from this piece of content and actually seeing it as, you know, one piece of content that you can distribute and reshare over and over and over again. And obviously as, as we move forward, as social media changes, we hear about zero click content and we hear about, you know, let's just not keep getting people back to the content. Nobody just wants to be on Twitter and click a link and go back to the content. So let's actually take that content and build the content as a Twitter thread without linking back. Like, do we, do we have to link back every time to deliver value? No, we don't. You know, when we mm. create a LinkedIn post from an article or five LinkedIn posts from an article, could that just be LinkedIn content? Are we gonna build up trust and authority on LinkedIn without linking back to it? So <clears throat> I think there are times that we want to get people back and get visitors back because that makes the graph go up and traffic and that's all well and good. But mm -hmm. it's not as, as AI is becoming more, you know, prominent and as Google is changing and adapting, I do think it all comes back down to the authority of your business, your brand, your client's business, your client brand. So yes, organic traffic and yes, getting people back to that original content will make you look good on the monthly report, but let's think mm -hmm. about the bigger goal. And let's think about the client's objectives. Do they want to be the leader in their industry? Do they want to take that content that you're creating for them and then republish it many times over in slightly different ways in order to increase their reach? You know, mm. yes. You know, if that's the goal, then great. There are many different ways you can do it, but you do have to adapt the distribution style based on what the client's goals are. Um, but we, you know, resisted getting people to click back to the blog post, but we're very much committed to that now. Like let's create content and let's help more mm. people by giving people content on the platforms that they're on. I think that's a really interesting point as well that often gets overlooked in SEO sort of content strategies is that at the end of the day, you are building brand visibility and that's not something that you can say direct, directly measure. Obviously you've got like Google analytics for all the different sort of traffic channels, but the fact that somebody may not have clicked on your brand or your client's website beforehand, but because they saw an interesting tweet, they're like, I know of this company, I'll see what they've got mm. to say. Um, that's something that often gets overlooked is traditionally you would just be all about driving that traffic metric, which a lot of the time is, is a vanity metric because you can get traffic for traffic's sake quite easily but it's getting that valuable traffic that ultimately is the big win. And as Martin was saying there, making your content work smarter and not necessarily always pointing straight to a blog post on your website saying, oh, if you want to read the full thing, here it is. Because what works on Google doesn't work on Twitter. What works on Twitter doesn't work on TikTok. Um, so mm. it's really making the content that you have work smarter and harder for you also having that adaptability to change it dependent on the platform that you're on 
I mean, as we've seen with uh, the rise of TikTok searching and the fact that that's almost becoming a search engine in its own right now, mm. the way that brands approach that, they couldn't do that on, say, Instagram or even YouTube, even though there's shorts and reels. It's the same short form mm. content, but it all reacts completely differently. So you can't expect your content strategy to work the same in terms of here's a blog post we've published, check it out here and pushing that out across all of your company socials profiles. Um, so it just wouldn't have that same sort of effect as like um, Chima and mine said, ad- adapting it for threads, for Reddit posts, mm. um, anything like that. Just wondering, does anybody actually have any experience with creating content marketing strategies for TikTok? I just It's come up in so many podcasts. So I'm wondering if uh, if any of you have, have given it a go. No. No? Nope. That's a nope. great answer. Nope. Too scary. <laughs> Holly? Um, no, I haven't either. But um, the one that I do take a particular interest in is Twitter. Because um, yeah. the amount that you can build up your tone of voice and make your content so memorable... And you are effectively treating, um, you know, you're giving people that EAT kind of those factors mm. through Twitter. Like you are gaining um, a sort of rapport with these people. Like they will come to like through to your website to find that kind of tone of voice. Like they're getting to know that person. You're giving them mm. you know, facts and they're understanding that, you know, you've got expertise um, you've got the experience. Um, and it's definitely trustworthy because, I mean, they're repetitively going to be looking for what you could provide for them um yeah i find twitter quite a fun one as well i think yeah i definitely get attached to brand tone of voices much more over twitter than i do any other channel <laughs> so do i like the ryanair one that's brilliant and the, the, just being outwardly rude to people just seems to be a brilliant <laughs> strategy <laughs> yeah um yeah does anybody have any any uh other experience with other uh channels that they want to share I think we covered most of them, so totally cool if not. Yeah, um, so we we have um, been managing video content for clients, short form video mm-hmm. content, uh, quite quite a lot recently, and there are clear similarities to longer form content, um, but there is a huge emphasis on you know YouTube's great for search, but for Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's about marrying up the end goal, like it always comes back to, but adapting the uh, particular content style, especially, you know, there's not enough, there's not enough uh, time in order to do what we do with longer form blog content. So it's about mm-hmm. being as direct as possible, which if you're anything like me, I just love to go on tangents, which is why I love writing long form <laughs> blog content because it helps. Um, but yeah, with uh, short form video, it is about a r- really strong hook and um, really delivering value in such a short space of time. But we've been able to create long form content for clients and then give them video ideas and scripts and hooks based on that particular, you know, the same way that you would repurpose a a 1500 word article into multiple Twitter threads. You know, if you have the right approach and the right structure and the right hook, then you can easily see how you would repurpose that into a short form video script. I think my question as a sort of someone who's never tried to deliver a content marketing strategy uh, to anyone um, is how are you approaching your clients and deliver and and saying that you're going to deliver um, like that this is going to perform well are you guys uh, armed with analytics data or are you really going on the sort of qualitative side of it all and saying look if we if we 
enter this holistically. I know Chima lo- knows loads about sort of topic research and entities and stuff. Is it sort of like you have to go and say, trust the process or are you going armed with loads of data? That's a very good one. So this is what I usually do with clients. When I jump on that call and I'm trying to convince them to adopt a topical approach, I just show them what has worked for that client. I can just say, okay, this is what we did for this client. Mm -hmm. This is every piece of content that ranked. This is how much money they generated. This is how many leads they're able to drive back, you know, lead with that information because that's the stuff that matters to them. Depends on their goal. If they are just starting Mm -hmm. and looking for traffic, I can say, okay, this is how much traffic we did. We were able to get for this client. They they went from ranking for just seven keywords to ranking for over a thousand keywords. And we did this, 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 and this. If they can see it, if they can visualize it, it, there's nothing more convincing than that, especially when Mm -hmm. it's a result for a similar brand in probably, let's say, the same vertical or something like that. Nothing more powerful than that. Yeah, I I completely agree. If you also don't go in saying, oh, these are all the search terms we're going for with this piece of content, this is the average monthly search volume for each of these terms, because then that sort of turns into a, well, you quoted me, potentially 28,000 searches and we're getting 14. Yeah. You guys don't know what you're doing. And it's like, it's all part of that ongoing process. But I think as Chima says, if you go from that results first approach and say, this is the, we've adopted an approach similar for this client, or this is what we've done. In, I've done in a previous role. And these are the results that we've got. I think, again, it is that holistic thing. And you've got to almost sell the story behind it all as well. Because there's, they're not always going to see the value in each piece of content directly because mm-hmm. you may even just have, say, like a jargon buster or like a keyword glossary on your website that, you know, will bring in a lot of traffic, but it's never going to convert anything. But then yeah. you have to position, we're doing this so that we can capture that search of the people that don't know or are just starting out looking for this sort of product or these keywords even. So it is very much painting that holistic picture and almost explaining the journey behind it. So it's like we produce this content for either this content silo or this topic cluster, it's going to lend into either boosting your EAT in the sense of you can be seen as a favorable source of information, or this Mm -hmm. is going to drive traffic, or this is going to help to bring more commercial um, users onto the website. It may not generate as many users onto the page, but those that do are going to have a higher chance of converting. So really just explaining the why behind every bit of content that you're going to produce and almost painting that canvas and saying, this is where we're starting. We do this. This is where we end up. I absolutely agree with that. Um, there's, yeah, I love sitting with a client and kind of um, at the very start of the process, understanding all of their needs, um, kind of business goals and mm. talking them through a website that I've worked on previously that kind of marries up with a similar line of business, uh, similar size. So um, I can literally talk them through. This is what the site potentially kind of used to look like. This is the sort of traffic and results we used to gain and look at how much we're helping the user now. And they can kind of compare that journey to their own or to kind of talk them mm. through a like a clarity analysis kind of thing. Um, yeah, just to give them an idea of like, look, this is what we're going to be doing. This is how much it's going to help. And as long as your communication's there, then yeah, I think you will always end up doing a good job because I think the communication is key. Do, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good approach. Obviously, always considering you know what they want, and um, we kind of do things slightly differently um, with our agency in the sense that we're quite 
we're quite picky about who we work with. Um, we're only a small team and we, we very much are specific about the kind of clients we want to attract. So it kind of allows us to say, you know, we may or may not work with you depending on what the situation is, you know, depending on what your goals are. And it really depends on, on what we feel we can do for you. Um, and actually changing the conversation from how much traffic are you going to get us? How many leads are you going to get us? What we care about, we were on a call with someone earlier today and we said one of the big factors when we work with clients is understanding that you want more as a business than just traffic, leads and sales. You just, you look, if you're looking at the data, then great, that acts as a benchmark. But ultimately there's going to be so much content that we produce that we can't directly link to any number or any data or any research but you mm. know from the bottom of your heart that your clients need that information the people on your website will value that information and there are times that we publish content for clients where nobody searches for it like you would mm. struggle to find any keywords related to it but then the marketing team absolutely love that content because they get to share it with their audience and they know that it, they're going to benefit from them. Um, whereas if we were solely focused on traffic driving SEO content, that's like sometimes the kind of content that they're like, well, that's great and everything. It's going to drive us traffic, but how is it going to help mm. our existing clients? It's, they can see the kind of keywords you're going for. So it's about marrying up that kind of approach as well. But it really starts from pre-framing the conversation, which is, let's get your head in the right space and understand that what you want to do is be, you know, the most educational, most informative website in your industry so that everything else happens as a side effect. You know, if you can focus on that end goal being the, the best service possible, and then yes, we target keywords, but ultimately it is about having a goal bigger than the data. And that way they can't yeah. bring it up and say, oh, you you constantly beat that drum about the data and we've got no data. I was wondering just really quickly, um, is there any industries that you guys just that find uh, that you guys find really difficult uh, to create a strategy for? Um, so you were kind of saying you were being really picky about your content marketing strategy. It's totally okay if this, that there isn't one, but just very curious about ones that you'll just go, there's no way I can create a content strategy for that. I think it's more about like, if your if your budget or your uh, mindset isn't at the same level as your competition you're not prepared to pr publish as much content you're not prepared to have a team help you know if you're mm. trying to rank for the term crm but you're only got 1500 pound a month to spend with us then we've got a little bit of a problem and it's much easier for us to have that conversation up front than to you know lead them down a path and say well we can do bits and then we'll probably need to up it and then three months later when they've spent a little bit of money with you and you're thinking you're going to upsell them to get them committed but they're just disappointed because they wasted that money so yeah. it comes from rather than industry specific it comes from you know um the goals and the budget and what's realistic uh it's much easier for you to say this is not going to work unless you spend fifty thousand here or a hundred thousand mm -hmm. there it's just an easier conversation to be had yeah i think i as and for industries i avoid e-commerce i just find it really boring and frustrating <laughs> so yeah that has to be the one industry that i tend to avoid i also avoid service-based businesses because most of them are small businesses mm -hmm. not a lot of budget so that's why i like to work with b2b because they have the budget to execute on the level that I am ambitious to execute that. Also boiling back to what Martin says about the, about having that money conversation early, 
in the relationship and making sure that what I want to do for them, they can afford to do it sustainably long term. Because it's very frustrating when you start working on a client project and three months in or four months in, they start saying, uh, we don't have enough budget, we have to cut short. It's really frustrating. So I think that's a very good approach. It's something I usually do. I like to have the money conversation on the discovery call. Make sure that right now you can commit to what I charge. Make sure that six months down the Mm -hmm. line, we still have an ongoing contract because it just makes it easier for me to get the results that I'm looking for working for brands. Yeah, I, I completely Absolutely. agree with all of that. Um, it's not so much a case of there's an industry that I'll stay away from. It's more a case of you need that two-way relationship in the sense of, yes, you're supplying all, say, the information, the briefs, everything that you want. If they're not holding up their end, um, then you can't possibly succeed because you've got all this research with no one to action it or they don't buy into the vision or anything like that. Because if it's a complicated industry, I actually find that that makes the keyword research and the content ideation so much easier because it's like, okay, I'm in a position of not knowing anything about this topic. What would I like to know? And then you almost become the ideal uh, user because you need that education that can shape your content strategy. But yeah, I think it is more a case of when brands don't align with what you're sort of suggesting in the sense of they want everything on a small budget or they only want you to produce commercially focused pages mm. that are never going to rank because you haven't got the support network around it. Yeah, I totally understand that. Okay, um, sort of moving away from from that, I'm interested in hearing about how you guys navigate website architecture in your content marketing strategy. Um, so I guess the question here is how... How are you considering internal linking um, and how how much emphasis do you put on internal linking, um, if at all? Uh, sort of explorative question here. Um, is this something that you, you is non-negotiable, that you guys have the, the say in wh- where the links are going? Or is it something that um, you're not even a part of? I'd say massively um, internal mm. linking. I am a huge advocate of. Um, I'm also a big fan of creating hub pages to house content. So um, instead of just taking finding content to a blog or um, a sort of guide section, having multiple ones, but that each relate to a specific purpose. So then you have that centralized sort mm-hmm. of website architecture of right every piece of content that is in this subfolder relates to this particular topic. And then you have all the internal links throughout each of them. If there is a particular page that you want to have as like a many page, then using tools like Screaming Frog to make sure that that has the most amount of, sort of unique in links possible without duplicating um, and needlessly spamming. Um, that mm. is um, something that I really push to do. And I'm very hands-on in the internal link inside of things because I know its value. Um, and it's something that I think is essential sort of with every piece of content. If it doesn't have sort of an internal link in, then is it really right for your audience? Because it doesn't have that sort of cross appeal um, with the rest of your website content if it's sort of just left floating in the ether. Yeah, so I think it it is about, it comes back to all the positioning. So mm. when we take on a client, we have to have access. You know, I can, um, in the times we have tried to work with internal techies or a dev team, it's just more hassle than it's worth for us. So Mm -hmm. when we 
before we take on the client. We say we need access, we need to be able to upload the content, we actually need the ability to be able to publish it on your behalf because we want to make sure that we manage this situation to the best of our ability in order for you to get the best results. So we just found that it's easier for us to say, this is what we need in order to be able to add internal links and be able to change things whenever we need access to. One of the things that we preach about as well is, um, like Ed said, the hub pages, we insist that clients get a learning center on their website, uh, which has access to all of the content that's a lot uh, easier and more user-friendly than a reverse chronological blog. So it's just about shining a light on the content that you've created and the content you haven't created. As long mm. as it's going to improve the overall SEO, then we absolutely need to be, you know, reviewing old content, uh, making sure that when we publish content that there's enough internal links, it makes sense. Uh, it's not mm. always about SEO, it's about user experience. And I think if we can think about user experience first, then everything else will really, really play play a part. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was thinking, I mean, Chima said some really um, nice ideas about uh, tools that, or uh, tools or um, softwares that you were using. Um, I was wondering, Holly, if you had any uh, softwares that you're using to to help this process, uh, or the tools that you that you go to for, for this, um, if any, or if you'd like to do it all on your own. Yeah, I kind of like to do it from a um, user journey point of view. I mean, I was just going to say I really agreed with what Martin was saying. Um, I have, um, I've got an e-commerce client that um, mm. a lot of their products, every time they have a sale, um, the stock will be, yeah, no more. Um, so, um, and I think that can be very frustrating for a user. They can come onto the site, they can find the product that they like the look of because there's, you know, images on the homepage, best-selling products, that sort of thing. And they'll come to the product and there's no more left in stock. So I think it's crucial to then have, you know, similar products or, you know, internal links to very similar looking products. So it doesn't just come to, you know, looking for a gift for a loved one or whatever. Um, Yeah. And then just coming to a point where you exit and go straight off to a competitor. Um, So I find Mm. internal linking really helpful for that sort of thing. Yeah. I have to say that I'm a massive advocate. I've done many LinkedIn, Twitter threads about internal linking and why it's even more valuable than external linking. So for sure, even from when I'm creating the brief, I'm already thinking about internal link placements inside that hub. What are the key pages in the hub? Those are the ones I want to give the most internal links to, to show importance. Mm. So as I'm building out the brief, I'm thinking of how, what kind of subheadings am I going to include to allow me add those important pages as internal links, obviously they'll be relevant. So I'm thinking about it from the get-go. I'm thinking about all of the use cases, any word I have mentioned in here that is relevant to this content, to this hub that I can add in there. I think we can't we can't think of internal links sporadically. There has to be a strategy behind it. Yeah. Every single internal link must matter so that the content doesn't exist in a vacuum but stands within a hub, kind of like what Ed said. So I'm definitely for internal links. I'm definitely for internal links in a hub format. I'm also for internal links in a way that makes sense for conversion. That was something I learned from one head of content that I worked with. You can actually use internal links to sell in a way. You have all of Mm -hmm. this informational content, but you also have links to the core conversion pages that are going to drive sales. The more valuable the user finds that informational content, the more likely they are to click to that conversion asset and make a purchase because they found you, your free stuff so useful. So definitely all of that. Yeah, 
that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, my last, my final question um, would be for everyone to sort of uh, give a one one great tip on how to build an SEO friendly marketing strategy. So the one thing you want our listeners to take away uh, from this podcast. I'd say the biggest thing I'd, I'd sort of suggest is educate, don't just sell. Holly? I think when I first started in SEO, I used to overcomplicate things a lot. And I used to trip, trip myself up in doing that. Um, so one thing I've started doing is to kind of practice at home with, um, say, if I've uh, made changes to a website or, amend, uh, you know, done like a on-page optimization or something for a client, I'll come home and I'll use my partner who works in construction. So it's completely separate, doesn't look at websites, anything like that. And he is my own personal kind of like search quality rater. Um yeah, so I'll kind of ask him the pinpoints and sort of say, did you find that useful? If you needed to find out this information, did it give you that easily? Or were you at the bottom of the page before you found out exactly what you needed to know? Um, just all the touch pay- touch points. Um, you know, do you trust this page? Uh, is there anything that makes you not trust it? Um, you know, what do you think could be added? What's missing? You know, you've got a picture um, that everybody who's coming to this site might not know that industry. They might not know those kind of buzzwords that your clients use all the time. Um, yeah, so that's one thing I'd do. I'd just strip back to basics. That's really that. cool. I love that. Yeah. I love the idea of using someone who doesn't know anything about websites <laughs> as your quality rater. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's genuinely how the how Google will see it. We'll be like, okay, do I trust this? Yes. And that that's that's actually a really great way, great way to approach yeah. it. It's good. Uh, Ed? Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Holly. Sorry, I was just going to say, um, you know, when you're doing like a heat mapping analysis sort of thing, you can literally mm. see where people are clicking, but you can't ask them the questions. You can't interact. So it's really good to kind of literally ask him and he'll be brutally honest with me even though it's a client that I work on um yeah he'll tell me plain as day like no I was clicking here instead of here that's really confusing I would have exited this a long time ago things like that yeah Yeah, really beneficial so (laughs) try it at home (laughs) was it Martin that didn't say one ask yourself is this the best possible version of this content online Mm -hmm. you know having Mm -hmm. that in the back of your mind before you hit publish is is there something out there better than this? Because if there is, you know, you might want to reconsider just hitting that yeah. publish button um, and have a mindset of this needs to be the best. If it's not the best piece of content in the world, why would it rank number one on Google? So mm-hmm. there's a lot to explore there, but it's always good to keep that in mind. Absolutely. That. And last but not least, Chima. Yeah, mine is always the same thing. Think in a topical format and make sure that no content is standing in isolation. I absolutely yeah. hate silos. So if you're going to create this content base and you can't find a way to link it into an existing hub or you don't have any plan to create a hub around that content and that content is just going to be isolated, don't do it. Always yeah. think in topics because we're moving away from keywords with what is happening with generative search with what is happening in AI, I'm predicting that in the next five years, Google is not going to have the power that they have right now. We need mm-hmm. an end to that monopoly. And if that is going to happen, the way that we search for answers is going to change. Right now, I'm using ChatGPT to find answers. I'm not really using Google anymore, except when I'm finding like location-specific answers. But when mm-hmm. I really want in-depth answers that, are, that is fast, I'm using ChatGPT. I'm using tools like Perplexity. I'm using... I'm using my social media to find answers right now. So the way that we create content 
has to match that. So it's basically thinking hubs, make sure nothing is standing in silos, diversify your content format so that you're not just relying on Google for all of your search traffic or for all of your traffic rather. Awesome. Thank you, Chuma. I'm just going to bring in David to introduce uh, next month's episode. Indeed. If that's next month's yep. episode will be on the 18th of September, 4pm UK time. That'll be episode 39. And the topic will be schema for enterprises. We've already got one guest book for that. That's Emma Oos. And if you want to find out more about that, um, if you definitely want to watch that one live, which will be live streamed, go to theknowledgepanelshow.com. We'll have hopefully at least a couple of more great um, schema orientated, enterprise schema orientated panel guests coming to join Emma. Mm -hmm. uh, Anna. Emma. Anna. It's Anna. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Anastasia. Do, 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 do no, you no. know what, Gina? Uh, Jeannie, I've, I've got uh, Emma written down here. I think you're absolutely right. I think it is Anna. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know why I've got Emma written down. <laughs> Apologise, Anna. No worries. I just I went out to, to lunch with her not long ago, so um, I think she'd be a bit annoyed at me if I didn't correct you there. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for coming onto the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to everyone's uh, perspectives, and thanks for letting me pick your brain and everything um, and I really hope to get you back on soon so thanks a lot guys bye thank you thanks so much. Everyone. nice to meet you all you too. nice to meet you